are uh, going to finish our packet tonight. We're going to be going through the oh, finishing the ten objections and then answers to those objections regarding progressive Christianity, which is a big deal. It's coming in so many churches. Next week, we're going to be right back here, and we're going to view a portion of a debate between like the preeminent progressive person and uh, very conservative, James White, if anybody's heard of, of him. Um, and, and you'll see every, a lot of what we've talked about through our lessons, you'll just see it there. And just it's just it's sometimes difficult to watch because of the arrogance and just the superior attitude of the progressive Christian and just, you know, not really caring about what the Bible actually says. It's it's it'll be it'll be eye opening, I guess. But for t- and then we have one more week after that. I was telling these guys not sure what we're going to do. We might just let it go if people aren't interested in getting together, or we could just have like one big review or just have like a fellowship time. We'll decide that when we get there to, to that to that point. Um, but for tonight, we are going to talk about two more of the the last two objections, and uh, let me pray. Let me get to it. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much, Lord. Thank you for this study. It seemed to have gone so quickly, Lord, and... Um, just for bringing us together and helping us to learn. And it's just so difficult, Lord, for us at times because we expect this from the world, but we do not expect this from your church. And so when we see these kinds of ideas, these kind of ideologies, Lord, um, and thoughts coming into the church and many professing Christians uh, being persuaded or <clears throat> or moved in this direction, Lord, it... it um, it's really a cause for um, prayer and for for those in Christ to stand firm on your word, to challenge this, Lord God, from the scriptures. Um, so we ask for your strength, wisdom, and guidance. In Jesus' name, amen. Be strong, because it always goes. So many churches just always go off the path. So, last two. If you want to go to page... What page is that? Okay. 11? Don't tell me 10. Please don't tell me 10. We did 10 last week, right? <laughs> I don't know where we were. I got rating of 10. Okay, we're doing the last, the last two. And this is a big one. Um, it's really come into the church and our... All of these things have really come into the church, Laney, very... In a, in a heavy way. And what they do is they attack um, under foundational kind of doctrines that we believe. And then maybe that's what we'll do on our last class. We'll just say, you know, look, here's the, the teaching, but this is the doctrine that they're coming after. This is the doctrine that they're coming after. You don't see that on the surface, but that's what they're actually doing. So with this one, number 10, it says this. This is another objection from uh, Cully. He says, we should care more about love. There's that word, love, and less about sex. And that's a big deal. This is attacking the sexual sexual ethic of the scripture and God's design for sex. Um, and so with the progressives, under, under A, it's um, when it comes to sex in general or sexual orientation specifically, it's important to demonstrate understanding and affirmation rather than passing judgment. Um, so we, you know, we should be more about helping the poor and worried about crime in the environment and not delving into people people's personal lives and this is a it's kind of a big deal because this is something that really um, has found its way into the church and even among the evangelicals you know it's it's kind of this area is kind of a, a off limits type of area you know what I mean when we talk about the sexual thing it's like you know hey you don't really want to pry into that or go in go into that too much but I want you to check this out under number two, the justifying sexual sins. There's like five steps to this. And and the goal is for the for the progressives, and the goal in all of this is to get us, to get you, if you're more conservative, to question. You know, to question yourself and to, you know, maybe rethink this a little bit. You know, reimagine Christianity. You know, does the Bible really say this? Do we really know this to be true? And so that's 
And they want to take us off our game, as it were. And this is where we need to stand strong. But some of the things that they use to try to justify it is teach the moral virtues of those who are in sexual sin. So how would you do that? Like, How, how would you think that some of the more progressives would, would do that? Any comments or any ideas? As long as you love each other, each other it's okay. Yeah, that's a big deal. As long as you love each other, that's okay. You know, and, and, and you could be professing Christians, and you could be living together as long as you're intending to get married, and you're not going off with somebody else. They're just nice, normal people, and that's, that's kind of the thing. They're nice, normal, well-adjusted people. Can it be that bad? And that's a really big deal. You know, our tendencies, and you almost feel like, I can't, Say too much to that because, you know, um, it's just two or more <laughs> people that care about each other, and you know it's not really our business. And that's kind of how the progress, you know, it's, and even evangelicals, it comes into the to the church, and um, they're they're not like these perverts just out there, you know, like oh there's bad people they're nice and that's they want to kind of teach the moral virtues of these people um they're active in the community they're productive they go to work you know what i mean they're just nice normal people who happen to love each other and they want to commit yeah so one we will we will will. and it's not just the young people i mean even with the older crowd i mean so you um Michael Kruger was talking about one professing Christian couple in their 60s. I think they were widowers, and, and, and um, you know, they started living together. And you go into their, they're kind of towards retirement, and they found each other, and they're committed to one another, and there's companionship there. And, you know, there are pictures of the grandkids on the wall. And, you know, it's like they're warm, welcoming. It doesn't feel sinful. And so... Um, that's that's that like you know, you, you know these are virtuous people they they'll go to church together they'll be active in politics in the community or whatever and they're nice enough people and so they're kind of like what's your problem if if you kind of object to that on like if you get in a biblical so that's one way that progressives are really doing and that's all they bring a lot of pressure to bear um under b they insist that god has bigger things to concern himself with he doesn't really care about you know these two people over here when there's so many problems in the world. Look at the state of the world. Uh, this is a it's a ploy, it's a tactic that's used to kind of divert attention. Um, you know, there's there's um, look at all the evil in the world, and you should have more people that care about each other <laughs> to this extent that they're willing to be. There's just this you know nice nice people that are making the best of it kind of thing, when all there's hunger in the world, the strife, the wars, the evil, the hatred, blah, 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 everything that they talk about. So that's another, you know, very appealing to kind of the heart, to practicality. And these are, again, this is within the church. We're not talking outside the church. Outside the church, that's par for the course, obviously. But we're concerned with those that are professing Christians. And when you see people doing that, that's the influence of kind of this, progressive Christianity that finds its way into the churches. Um, C, um, show the disputed sexual behavior leads to positive results overall. (laughs) So how would you think about that? Like why would people want to, you know, shack up, hook up? What are some reasons they give in that way? Whether they're younger or older. What's that? We live together. We'll find out compatible or instead of getting married then we're that's one and find out later and get divorced exactly yeah exactly so forget about commitment and taking those vows and sticking to those vows that's that's a prime reason that people get together it kind of makes sense and that's portrayed as the smart thing to do you're an idiot if you're young and just get married and you know have to make this long commitment and get tied up and whatever and you're finding people a little bit later on in life because they go to college, they go to school, they work for a few years and so they want to kind of test the waters. Um, 
and and so they're they're very practical. It seems very wise, doesn't it? You know, not I have my money, then you have your money, and we're just kind of here, but we're not going to make that commitment to go. We'll see how it goes, and and it's very much encouraged. I mean, it's encouraged by, um, it's it's almost kind of the seen as the wise thing to do in this day and age. Just kind of see. Make sure that you're compatible before you get there and things get messy with a divorce and all those kinds of things that, that can happen. So the commitment's gone. Um, a, a, another another reason um, is, is and it's along the line of Kevin's, you know, a little bit deeper, you find deep companionship, especially this is older couples. Like, you know, there's loneliness. I'm alone. I'm tired of being alone. I want to be with somebody else. And I've already been married, I've already been there, done that, and so we just want to be together and find that companionship and, and have that that's positive because we're both happier this way. We travel, we do things. This is very real. This is stuff that happens all the time. We do these activities together. Um, so overall, it's good. We're not, we're not hurting anybody. Um, another reason, like kind of financial security in that way too, you know, like you... If you do decide to have like your off here by themselves, now we're kind of together and we can help each other out, that kind of thing. Uh, another big thing that we're finding out is the families are okay with it. And once you have that, if our family's okay with it, you know, what should you care? Why should you care, church? <laughs> Why should you care? Our kids are, are fine with this idea of us being together. And um, Again, it, whether they're young or older, and you're seeing this across demographic lines, across different age groups, that they're they're doing these kinds of things, and it's more and more accepted within the bounds of Christianity. Um, again, so they want you. It doesn't feel sinful. It actually seems noble. It actually seems good. It actually seems right. Like you have a heart if you're good with that. Um, and then D, this is the negative side of it. Uh, portray those. And this is like a strategy on the progressive side. This is what they, you know, the leaders kind of teach people to do, whether directly or indirectly. You know, look, um, moral values, people, these are good people, whatever they are, even if they're gay or trans, they're still good people. They're nice people. They're productive people. Who cares? God has bigger things to be concerned about. Um, there's actually positive results about being together in a lot of different areas, a lot of different ways, you know. And then um, portray those who stand against such behavior as narrow, cold, harsh, and unsympathetic. That's where we come in. <laughs> as, the, as the conservatives, as the ones who are like, wait a minute, stop, time out. You know, that's all what the Bible teaches. Um, you guys are the harsh ones. You guys are the unenlightened ones. You're the old-fashioned ones. You strict. did it when you were young. Huh? The strict ones. The strict one. <laughs> me. Are you the strict one? Oh, yeah. Are you the strict yeah. Yeah, the toughie, and there's always that's, that good cop, bad cop thing going on and sometimes. girlfriend's parents, well, now wife or one of the sons, but the girlfriend's parents are like, fine, live here with us. Like, before marriage. get our crosses straight around our necks, everybody, and make sure we know that we're, what are you doing? And that's, yeah, I mean, and that's and that's very much the, the temptation of the day, and that's, yeah where we find ourselves and so it puts us in that very tough position of if you don't go along then you're portrayed as this fuddy-duddy and you know what about you when you were young all those kinds of things that's crazy when people don't let don't never let anybody get away with that when they say that to us my kids know so much of my past and but i say i was stupid wrong and sinful and it doesn't make it right for you to do that because i was stupid wrong and sinful <laughs> Free, free pass. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have so many parents today do that kind of thing. Well, what could we say? We did that. I have people in my own family. You know, I was like that. So why should I, my kids, I'd be hypocritical if I tell them. You're not hypocritical. You're being mature and you're being wise. And you don't want your kids to repeat the same mistakes that we did. And we have that standard. But um, but this is kind of the, this is where we get in, into trouble. And then they'll point Again, we, we've talked about how progressives use scripture way out of context. They'll just grab something that seems sentimental. Forget about what happened before. Forget about the broader teaching. For, forget about 
you know, the, the uh, consistency within Scripture, they're just going to pull a verse out and say, look what Jesus did, and that's what you need to be like. So they'll go to something like the woman caught in adultery. You know, he did Jesus was sympathetic towards her and accepting even and, you know, didn't put her to death. And, and But, you know, first of all, that text, that whole pericope is not in the earliest manuscripts. It came along a lot later. So a lot of Bible scholars don't believe that that's actually part of Scripture necessarily. Not that the incident didn't happen, but the earliest manuscripts don't have that for several hundred years. And then it's inserted. <clears throat> and it got into the King James Bible and they never took it out. But anyway, that's another story for another time. When we do Christianity 2.0, we'll talk all about that. But um, big time. But um, but they'll, they'll, they'll point to that and say, you know, Jesus. Wasn't the reason for that teaching was to show them that no one hears without sin? Yes, no one hears without sin. It wasn't just pointing out the adultery, which they thought was the sin. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Is That's that exactly the teaching. And they knew they were testing Jesus. They weren't concerned about God's holiness or his righteousness. They wanted to see what Jesus would do or say. They weren't worried about the man who committed adultery because both parties technically should be put to death in that way. They didn't have the power to do that because of the state they were under. They wanted to try to trap Jesus and to get him. They couldn't care less if she was having, you know, if she was an adulteress or anything. They, that was a setup uh, behind all that. And then Jesus did say that is the, the overall lesson. Those of you without sin, let him cast the first stone. So examine your own heart. And they should have seen their sin for what they were doing, trying to entrap Jesus. But um, so yeah, that's that anyway. But but they'll use that. Look how look how Jesus was with the woman at the well. You know how gracious he was with her and accepting he was of her. He wasn't accepting of her. You know he they think because Jesus went through Samaria, the religious people won't do that. They're going to walk around. But you know here's Jesus talking to her. You didn't do that back in those days. And, you know, showing sympathy and not kind of correcting her gently when both her husbands and so forth. And, you know, just kind of, he didn't tell her she had to stop living with that person. Whatever, you know what I mean? They'll always go down that path. Instead of seeing the real biblical picture of that, the tax collectors and sinners, that gives you the idea of like, hey, we're... We're open-minded. Jesus is open-minded. He goes in with the tax collectors and sinners. He's not afraid to be with them. They don't tell you that he goes in there not just to say, hey, you guys are wonderful the way you are, but that you need me. The sick people know they need a physician. They started listening to Jesus because he was teaching them the truth about who they are and who he is. The Pharisees wouldn't listen to him. That's why he said to them, you know, the, the sick know that they need a physician, but you go and learn what that means. So he wasn't in there. Progressives will portray it as, hey, we're all good. We're having there. Jesus loved to party with these guys and he was all good with that. No, no. He loved the sinners in, in that way enough to go in and tell them the truth. So uh, the biblical perspective, um, and here's where we have to stand strong all the time. Um, the standard like Mike Tomlin says, the standard is the standard. <laughs> That's a bad... Right now, I shouldn't even say that. It's a bad uh, analogy, I guess. But the standard doesn't change. And I would say, uh, like what Paul says, because, again, we're talking in the context of professing Christians. And when you see the, them doing this, especially as they get older and you know, kind of decide to, to be together in that way, you're not finishing the race strong. This is a... Christianity, is a, it's, a, it's a marathon. You know that from Scripture. It's a, it's a long haul. It's a race. It's not a sprint. And, and you could be faithful for a long, long time and then kind of lose it at the end. And as you get older, as I'm getting older, I'm seeing that. Even with, you know, you guys know some of my friends who were in the ministry. They were strong pastors and they started off so well, had good ministries, and they're gone. They're gone. It's scary. It's scary. Um, people that used to go to church with, and they were strong Christians, and now they're just off doing their own thing. Now, again, the Lord preserves His. I'm glad our church, we have a lot of people that have been in faith for a long time and, and faithful to the Lord, and you're finishing finishing well. And that's a big deal because um, it's too easy to, to kind of get what we want, even if it's against Scripture. 
Who defines love and gives a context for sex? Um, God does. <laughs> that doesn't change. And so that's so we have to always we have to stick to our guns on that. And again, it's very beautiful. You know, Genesis 1, 28, Genesis 2, 18, 23, and 24, God, the covenant between husband and wife created in God's image. One man, one woman. We must lovingly insist on this. We can't give that up, give that over. Um, 1 Corinthians 7. In this little Bible... I mean, thank you for this, Andy. I shouldn't be complaining because I didn't even bring mine. 1 Corinthians 7 and um, 32 to 34. Paul says, I am going to put my glasses on. Um, Okay. If you want to be free from anxieties, unmarried is anxious to change that. But the married man is an ancient worldly thing. And just, oh, what am I looking for? Okay. Why am I not finding this? Okay. Um, I'm sorry. The, it should be... Um, Chapter 7 in the first few verses. So let me read that. Paul says, Now concerning the matters about which I wrote you, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of temptation to sexual morality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer, but then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. So, the idea there is, look, this is this is the, the context, and this is what the Lord would have us do within marriage, how we should treat each other in that way, in the physical way, that mindset that we should have, that I'm not mine, you know, my wife as mine, and I have my wife in that way, and so that's that's the standard there. Her, uh, Hebrews 13, 4 says, do not let the um, marriage bed be defiled, and so that's that's a big deal, and so this is, it's always in the context of marriage, and so when you have Christians saying, well, wait a minute, you know, it's, you know, they'll that's kind of a personal thing. That's our thing. Uh, we're not hurting anybody. We're, you know, we're, God's okay with us. Our families are okay with it. Everything that they use, we have to stay strong and say, no, 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 no. Because um, this is what, this is what the, this is the context for that. Because then once you let that go, anything else goes after that. So being strong there. Um, of course, Leviticus 18, the prohibitions against the, Misuse of sex, First uh, Corinthians six twelve or through twenty is the same thing. That's a standard that doesn't change. And so when we talk about Leviticus, we don't have to go read that. I mean, you know all the prohibitions, unless you guys want to read that. Do you guys know Leviticus eighteen and all all the prohibitions that are there? That it's a long list, you know, and and it. All, yeah, and the reason behind that is we have to explain as Christians is because once you go down that road and those are the things that you kind of find your pleasure and joy in, it leads to death, it leads to destruction, it leads to misery. So God's saying this is the ideal. And I know it seems like I'm talking to a few people last week and it kind of seems so narrow. You know, one man and one woman only? How can... And that's not the mindset today. You know, it's just like it's free. It's you're trying everybody out until you you find the one you want type of thing. Um, so I think that you know when you go back to like like passages like Leviticus 18, it tells you you know you don't do this because it's not you can't have your stepmom. You, there's no incest. There's no none of this or none of that and, and homosexuality this is not the way God has designed 
or commands or wants for us because that always leads to difficulties and trouble. So this is this, that's the standard. And that's what we have to go back to. You know, and that's when we when we're confronting this, it's like again, we're supposedly talking to Christians in the church, and so we should be able to bring the word to bear. It's not like when you're talking to unbelievers, you still bring the word to bear, but you have to be it's a little different, you know, a little it's nuanced. But if you say that you're a believer and that you love Jesus, our thing, the the thing that we must do, and George Scipione taught me this, is you need to hold them to that. You, know, you say that you're a Christian, and yet you are just fine with doing this. And if you're just fine with doing this, and you're fighting against me because I'm telling you what the Bible says, then you have a problem with God. Skip said something like that to, to that effect. <laughs> Doesn't it sound like him? <laughs> you caught a problem with God, not with me. <laughs> you know? That's what he would say, because that's the truth. And I think that, you know, always us in the interest of, of kind of keeping the peace or... You know, not wanting to rock the boat or just getting overwhelmed with the things that are going on in the world, we'll say to even those that are professing Christ, well, you know, they do love each other. And, you know, we'll kind of make concession and we have to be really strong and say, no, you say that you're a Christian. Don't say that you're a Christian then if you're going to live like this or you've taken it and you've changed it to this, you know, you're going in this direction. Because God, there's no moral virtue in sexual sin in God's eyes. There's no moral virtue. You could be the nicest person in the world. So what? Nice people do bad things all the time. You know, the nicest person in Kansas, remember the BTK? If you guys remember that in the 80s and 90s, or maybe it was in the 90s, he was the, the town maintenance man. Remember that? BTK? No. He, was a, he was a husband, had daughter, well-liked in the community. He was like the dog catcher or something. He, he had some... Uh, he, he was a maniac. He was a serial killer. So nice people, you know, as nice as they could seem, were all sinners. That's that's beyond. That's that doesn't. There's no point to that. God's standard is this, right? Um, he is concerned about sex. When they say you have bigger things to be concerned about, do you know how much Scripture talks about sexual relations and God's design for that and prohibitions against sex? That's what we have to say. You know, he's very concerned. It is a big deal to him. Because uh, he says that there's no there's no relation that is closer. You know, Paul says if you make yourself one with a prostitute, you become one with her. You know, you're you're giving yourself to her when you understand the meaning of 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 what that intimacy means. You know, the love, the companionship, everything that goes into that. That's he. It's throughout Scripture, and that's why. It's, so don't let people say that to you. Um, the positive results type of thing, again, that's a non sequitur. Like, so, I mean, okay, so, you know, you guys are more financially okay because it's the two of you. What's that have to do with you breaking God's law and his commands regarding sex? You know, um, you can't, that doesn't justify the sexual sin as, as God places forth in, in the scripture. And um, you're not being narrow. Don't be cold. Don't be harsh. Be as understanding as we can be within the bounds of Scripture, but you have to stay within the bounds of Scripture. And again, turn that around and say, you should too. You should be concerned about this if you say you're a Christian. And apparently you're not because you're willingly, wantingly. It's not like, oops, you know, made a mistake, sinned. Please forgive me, Lord. That's one thing. But when you're kind of saying, hey, man, these are these are good things then that's a real problem that they have with the Lord because he does regulate everything in our lives, but certainly the serious sexuality. So that's a big deal. Does that make sense? Any questions or comments on this one? Because this is a big, big deal. And I'm not even getting into the real progressive churches that are all good with transgenderism and they're celebrating that and um, they're celebrating, you know, obviously they'll, they'll do... Um, perform same-sex marriages and they're all for all of that we're not even getting into that because i think that's a little for our group that's even beyond us i'm saying people that would kind of be in the same page with us they, they would probably say not the trans not the same sex stuff but you know two heterosexuals that really love each other that's coming into evangelicalism in a big way so um be strong be aware of that because it's out there and it it might be closer than you think. All right. 
One more to go. And we're all done. This last one, again, this is pretty big. It's pretty crucial. It just shows you the difference in the mindset of um, where where Christians ought to be and, and where our hope lies. I mean, every song that we sing, if you notice at, at church, there's always some element of our sinfulness, of God's redemption, and then the glory to come. And we're always looking forward to the glory to come. It doesn't matter like 99% of the songs, if not all of them, that we sing always go kind of like that. Sin and our fall, redemption, consummation and hope. You know, We're looking forward to, to the life that comes. Scripture's filled with that. I mean, that's our consolation. That's why Revelation, you're going through Revelation, that's a big deal. Those people there, those churches there, and it's written for Christians in all ages, showing us this battle that's ongoing from the time that Christ left till the time that Christ comes back, that we're to hang in there, that we're to be strong, don't get discouraged or disappointed. The outcome has been decided. It's just a matter of time. But within that time, you may very well suffer, even to the point of death or following Christ. But be strong, because Christ is with you, and you'll be with him. And it's not unusual for things to look worse and worse. Yeah. That's the way it's progressing, and we shouldn't be surprised at that. Not that we shouldn't stand up to it, but we shouldn't be surprised by that. Yeah, we shouldn't be shocked or totally surprised. Like this, can, Although in America right now, we've been so darn spoiled for all these years. Like when you read scripture, it wasn't like this. You know in church history, it wasn't like this for Christians. I mean, there's always something going on. So we've had a long stretch of real freedom and peace and Part of that's good, part of that's tough because, you know, we, we praise God for the joy and the freedom, but we've squandered that. I mean, we have such lame Christianity, such Christianity light, all the corruptions, all the stupidity that's going on in so-called Christianity, the health and wealth stuff. It's a mess. You know, that's why you have like people in China, they're serious. I mean, they're serious underground Christians. They're, I showed you that one. Did you guys see the one when they got those Bibles? It's a little clip on YouTube. When um, the first time this underground church in China got Bibles and they just, it's only like 30 seconds or, or 40 seconds that they're giving these Bibles and they're just crying, they're just weeping, they're kissing the Bible. They're just like, they can't believe that they actually have a Bible. You should look that up. That would be really good. It's, I'll, after we're done, I'll, I'll share that to you guys. Andy, we'll get it on TV when we're done. Um, <laughs> because you need to see that. Because I want you to see that's, that's you know, that, that, that hope of the Christian Peter says it himself. Don't think it's strange when these things are happening to you. You know, this is what we're called to. And if we're going to be faithful, especially when we find ourselves in our society, don't. This is this is kind of what we could expect. Now, it doesn't mean we're arrogant and saying, you know, hey, we're expected. You know, I'm not looking forward to it. I pray for a revival, because as much as you say, you know, here comes suffering. Get ready. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see what could happen to your family. You don't want to see, like, being persecuted and in prison. You know, what if somebody came and arrested me for preaching? Would you like that? <laughs> no, it wouldn't be easy. But I'm, I'm even thinking, like, you know, how badly Christians are treated around the world and and unfairly and harshly and starving and their families taken away from them and their children taken away, separated. This is what's happening to brothers and sisters in Christ. I don't want that. You know, we talk about, hey, that happens, you know, but, um, and it very well may, but, um, you know, I, I pray for revival, but nevertheless, we might have to endure things like that and give up a lot of what we're used to just having and what we take for granted. Are you ready to do that? And how, 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 I mean, how hard do we fight to, to preserve the way we are? I don't know. But we stay strong as being Christians, come what may. And that's my hope is, like even now, helping to prepare our congregation to stand firm if and when it comes, that we're not going to compromise. That's it, you found it. Okay, so we'll get it on TV? Okay, cool. Um, so, but but then our hope, and it's always been this for the Christians, and, and, and that's why they could love and pray for their enemies while they're being persecuted, while they're being killed, while they're going to the lion's, lion's den or in the, in the Colosseum or being burned. You know, they're still praying for their persecutors because they're going to glory. 
I see glory. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's far better to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. You know, that's our hope. That's throughout Scripture. That's always the consolation. Always the consolation is that better things to come. So, all that to say, <laughs> the last, the uh, time is it? I think we're okay. Yeah. Um, the the progressives, just like the liberals, love to say life in this world is more important than the life to come. So what doctrine do they destroy? They minimize the afterlife. They minimize the consummation. They minimize what's you know what God has prepared for those who love Him. Um, so progressives will say they don't necessarily deny the afterlife, but they put the stress on this life. You know, everything's about this life. We need to care about the environment as Christians. We need to care about the the uh, refugees. We need to care. And that's kind of true. I mean, there's definitely some truth in that from a biblical perspective. But they take it way out of context. And they make it right now. Because liberals, unbelievers, progressives, in their heart of hearts, they only have hope for this life. That's why. We need to save the planet. We need to save our lives. We need to make sure things are this way. You know, we're going to manage it um, because this is the, you know, this is the life that we live. This is the life that's that's everything. So functionally, many are universalists. You know, when you t- do talk to them about the afterlife, do you know what a universalist is? Anybody? So everybody's you know? going to heaven. Yeah, everybody goes to heaven no matter what. So they don't even read the Bible. And... <laughs> you could basically live the way that you want. Uh, there's a universalist church right on um, 19 Mount Lebanon. You go to Universalist, Universal, Universal, Universalist Church, whatever it is, and they like have funeral funerals for trees and stuff like that. I work with a guy. That's that's what his church is. It's yeah, like, Universal. I try to talk to him, and it's he's dead set. It's like no, everybody's going to heaven. Yep. And there are enough. You know what? Again, what they'll do. I bring up passages, and I'm like, well, do you read? Do you guys read the Bible in your church at yeah. all? They'll, they'll probably say, yeah. I mean, they'll they'll. But see, the liberals are very sneaky and tricky, and because there's a lot of branches, they're like weeds, and they all, it, and they, they kind of strangle out. So you have liberals and progressives that say we just take the mythology out of the Bible. So Noah's Ark's a myth. You really believe Noah's Ark? I mean, we believe in Jesus' teaching, and so we take that out. But a lot of it's built around these myths or even these miracles. That's one strand of liberals, the intellectuals, um, and so they don't believe in. Uh, uh, a substitutionary atonement that Jesus' blood actually satisfied God's wrath. They don't believe in a literal re- resurrection of Jesus. PCUSA churches still use the lingo, but it has different meaning. That's one thing. The Universalists are another thing. There are enough passages in the Bible, if you take them out of context, that say God so loved the world that whoever believes will, will be saved, or He doesn't want anyone to perish, that all will be saved. And so there's enough. Yeah. They all passages. And so there are enough passages when you take them out of context that you can make them say that. And sure. and there are some universalists that they're good. And they, they have those passages and they'll say it. See, this is what God's word says. That, you know, he's not willing that any should perish. So if he's God, none will perish. And you, we need to know how to respond to that. And it's not that hard to do that. But there are many passages like that. Um, yeah, but if they're all... But that the, does that mean that they they won't perish? I mean, does anybody perish? No. I mean, they either go down or they go up. No. I mean, so they're not perishing. Yeah. That well, they have different if that's, if that's what they're. Yeah, on. and they have different uh, within their camps, different perspectives. Some say you know eventually you might be in a place kind of like a purgatory place, but you'll eventually get to heaven. Others say once you die, you can make another choice. You know, like you can now, once you see what death is like, <laughs> you get another chance to repent. Of course, people are going to repent. You know, that, that Jesus died for the whole world. And so eventually the whole world is going to come to him no matter what. The worst of the worst. Because God's a loving God and, you know, and doesn't want anybody to, and let, you know, that if there is a hell, that's kind of for Satan and the demons. It's not for people. You know, even if there is a hell kind of thing. Liberals don't believe it. See, it's all mushy. It's all squishy. And, it's, you know, so... And the progressives pull from here, pull from there. But their big thing is like this life. They'll say, you know, many deny that literal hell exists. They'll say hell is on earth right now. You want to see hell? Let's go to the border. You'll see hell on earth. That's hell. Not this place that's burning up. 
you know, these poor people didn't do anything. They're just refugees looking for help and handouts. Those people with the tents on your sidewalk in front of your house are just nice people, averagely, average nice people, just like you and me, just down on their luck. Okay. You know, um, and so, and so that's, this is, this is why the Bible says, this is like the foolishness of unbelief. It makes you stupid. Like you, I saw these homeless guys. I'm getting a little bit off track here, but, but these homeless people living like in Beverly Hills, like next to the Richies, and say, we're just like them. There's nothing different than us. All we do, we just live in tents. We don't live in houses. We don't have this and that. You know, we're just like other people. People think that we're so bad and so different. We're nice, normal people. We just, you know, some of us are just poor. We're down on our luck, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, most of them are drug addicts. They have mental issues. They're kind of on the low, you know, you wouldn't want people camping out in their tents or in your house with their needles everywhere. But we're in a place in our society, you can't say that that's wrong. Oh, just poor people. And so the progressives will say, well, they just need our love. They need our care. They need our support. You know, people that steal, they're just down on their luck. They just need, you know, they need understanding. So on this life, let's make this life better for people. How do we do that? Accept everybody where they're at. Don't make them feel badly. Kind of encourage them. You know, we talked a little bit this, about this last week. So for the drug addict, we're going to make sure that they get not bad drugs, but good drugs. Or we'll supply clean, clean needles. needles for you. You know, instead of saying, wait a minute, we can't, in good conscience, we can't do that. But that, but then you would seem very cold-hearted. They're going to do it anyway, you might as well give them clean needles. So, it's that kind of thing what, that, where they talk about, you know, this is, the, this is the important place. The by and by. And they'll say about Christians, you guys are just too heavenly minded to be any earthly good. You're always in your Bibles. You're always thinking about the life to come. You're pie in the sky. But I'm on the street and I'm helping these people and I'm making a way for them. Now, of course, as Christians, we need to be on the street. We need to be helping, truly helping the poor and, and the outcasts and the destitutes, obviously. Preaching, you know, I know like Jeff Durbin's church, they preach in front of strip clubs. You know, one time Luke and Flex went down to one and, and were preaching out there and Flex at one point said to Luke, hey man, we better get going. Because these dudes were coming, like bouncers. <laughs> they don't know if we wanted to be here because they were just, you know, they were they were doing, they were where they needed to be at that point. With Flex, because he's like, business. You know, yeah, they were in the business. And so, um, we we definitely have a foot. We're down at the abortion clinics and, and we do, we want to have a mercy ministry, but within the context of scripture, you know, in the context of the gospel, it's all about Christ, and they need Christ more than they need anything else. But as we give the message, we help them as much as we can physically or get them to where they need to be, where they can get help that they need. So we're not against that, but it's almost like either you accept people and help them and you know just worry about this life, don't even worry about... We're worried about the souls of other people more than you know their lives on earth because we know what's at stake. So... Um, the biblical perspective, again, like we said, it just it places great stress on the life to come. In Philippians one twenty one, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And Second uh, Corinthians five one through ten, I do want to read that. I mean First Corinthians, but this is the attitude that we ought to have as Christians. Paul says this. Uh, we know that to tend... So when people, these progressive Christians say this and accuse us of that, like here's what the Bible actually says about our bodies and, and the life to come. He says, For we know that the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, talking about our body, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Amen. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but rather that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared for us this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So that's like our great hope. We want to live in this life, and we want to enjoy the benefits of this life, We want, but we can't be too... We have to hold on loosely, like, you know, to the things of this world, and not find our source of 
ultimate pleasure or identity in the things of this world. And that means everything. So it's, it's kind of loving them, enjoying them, but holding on loosely to, to the things of this world um, because of the life to come. So he says, we're of good courage. We know that while we're at home in the body, we're away from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Yes, we're of good courage and would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. And then it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. But that's the idea. You know, like, again, we're not, oh, I, you know, we just, we're not hermits that kind of, that number in church history, guys, that, you know, those hermits would leave and go out to the desert when things were getting too rough in the cities and they kind of just lived out there. We're not doing that. We're in the world. We're not of the world. And that's a, that's a big distinction. Um, one other passage I have. Like Paul says, we know how to get along with a lot. We know how to get along with little, you know, for us to live as Christ. Um, um, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So it's not all about this life and all about this world. Um, only those who trust in Christ will be saved. John 14.6, Acts 4.12, John 3.36. Um, this, is, this is why believers don't want to think of the afterlife. <laughs> right? Because... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 There's no other name under heaven given among men by which, by which we must be saved. But at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. John 3.36 he, he who obeys the Son has eternal life. He who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. Like you're already under the wrath of God. They don't want that. You know, They don't want that. They don't want to think about the afterlife. That's a big reason. And that kind of betrays really where progressives' hearts are, because they'll talk a lot of Bible and use Bible terms and Bible ideas, you know, Christian ideas. But when it comes to this, you can see it, man. They don't want to talk too much about the afterlife or think about it. That's why the focus is on this world. And but they'll say to you, "Oh, you guys do is think about a being up there and can't wait to go from here to there." Well, we, you know, Revelation tells us, hey, man, there's no more tears, no more sorrow. They call that pie in the sky, wishful thinking. You just don't want to deal with the stuff that's going on here. It's not true. Um, another thing that, that liberals, progressives do, and unbelievers all, you know, alike, they like to sanitize death. What do I mean by that? Do you notice how we've sanitized death in the last 20 years, 30 years? Do you know what I'm saying? Does that make any sense to you? What am I saying? Well, like a celebration of life instead of a funeral. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's really good. I wasn't thinking that, but that's really good. <laughs> um, we're not here to celebrate death or to uh, to mourn the death, but to celebrate life. And there's part of that. There's nothing necessarily, you know, you want to have good memories, but that sanitizing death. Back in the day, when people died, you know where they died, didn't you? In their homes, with their families there. Now we, you know, in some ways you, know, you could hospice, and I'm not against that. Or, but there was a time when death was right before you, right? Um, think about the funerals now. Even growing up, how many days did a funeral last when you were growing up? Three days. At least. Yeah. Oh, the Italian funerals. <laughs> That's a week long thing, you know. And you know the, the bodies were out, and there was a reason for that. Biblically, you know, to, to see that death is real. Go past, go past cemeteries now. What's missing? It's most modern cemeteries. Tombstones. Yeah, everything's in the ground. It's all just like, you know, we want to keep death of, and the idea of that as far away as we can. That's a liberal idea because when you see that death, you're confronted with your mortality. And then you're confronted with your relationship before God. That's part of that. And when you see that people mourning and people are sad because death is not natural, right? Death isn't, that was introduced after the fall. It's a consequence of sin, right? We think, oh, death is just natural. It wasn't meant to be that way. Sin brought death into the world. And so that's why people, one of the reasons people get sad. That's why people miss. That's why people hurt. Right. But that's a lot of that is they're taking that out and they're making it so, 
like as a pastor, I some part of me wants you to see that and understand that. Because the answer to that is Jesus Christ. Even if you die, you shall live in him. So that's that's another big thing that um, a little bit off course here, but um, it's kind of it kind of ties in with this whole idea of you know just kind of keep death or make joke, make light, like Leela said. You know, it's a home going. It's not you know we're not we're not here to mourn a death, but to celebrate a life. Come on, you have to mourn the death, and you can talk about the person's life, but you know death should be painful because it is. So. Um, and Jesus is the only way to that. And then hell is very real. I mean, who talked more about hell than anybody else in Scripture? Jesus himself. He spoke more to the reality of hell than any other writer in Scripture. Um, it's that is the that is the reality, and that's where the unbelievers, you know, the universalist people. You got to show them passages like this: John three seventeen to eighteen, Second Thessalonians. 1, 7 through 8, Revelation 21, 6 through 8, show them those passages, say, you know, then this is this is a place. This is why Jesus came, to keep us from there. But he requires faith and trust in him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the, the thing is that for, for us, and we're just going to close with this, is, is the idea from 1 John that we need to be in the world, but not of the world. What's that mean? What's it mean to be in the world but not of the world? General. We don't do what the world does. Yeah. Yeah. We're in it, so we don't, as Christians, we don't go away. We don't just go live in our communes off the off the reservation. And it's okay to have a commune <laughs> as long as you're in the world, <laughs> not like separate, like just I'm out of here altogether. Um, we, we need to be salt and light. And we can enjoy the things of the world. God has given us this planet. It's, we have high regard for life, for creation, all those good things. So being in the world, of the world, is when you start taking on the characteristics of the world. And that's where you find your identity. That's where you find your hope. That's what you live for. We have to be different as Christians. We can't get caught up in the culture, just like the culture does. you know. And um, Again, we can enjoy things within their proper realm and perspective but um we can't like too many christians are appealing to the lost by being like them but in a christian way you know what i mean dummy it's like it just drives me nuts we want to be so friends with the world hey we're just like you i'm just like you man i'm not we're a new creation in christ jesus not you know this is, I'm not, you know, so, I, I, oh yeah, Christians are cool, we do this and we do that. We just don't go that far, you know, that's not, that's not our standard. That's being friends with the world, and John says, we, if you're friends with the world, then you're enemies of God. Um, blurring the lines between the biblical and secular worldview, except what scripture doesn't in the name of contextualization. That's a big deal. When you start compromising scripture, and this is everything we've been talking about tonight, in order to um, make, like, it's one thing to have contact with unbelievers, and we should, and try to have common ground as much as we can and understanding, hey, I've been there, done that type of thing. But when we accept what Scripture does not, in the name of contextualization, trying to win the loss, trying to avoid rejection, um, then we find ourselves enemies of God. That's We can't go there. That's what progressives have done all along. If we're not calling sin, sin. You know, if we say everybody makes mistakes, everybody's done things that we shouldn't have done, everybody has regrets, we have to use the biblical language as Christians. You know what I'm saying? We're sinners, and we need to own that. Um, affirming, you know, I can't, as Christians, we can't affirm this. You know, we're not going to go along with what the world wants us to go along with and accept these values that are just unbiblical, you know, him, her, they, she, we, us, you know, I'm not what I really am, I'm something else, so you need to call me that. Like we talked about Blue last week, Robin's like, well, what's the kid's name? We need the kid's name for the, you know, so, you, so your insurance will cover it. Well, then they give the kid's name, you know, when, rea- when reality hits, it hits. Um, so, but that's that's the idea for us. We don't want to be 
just hidden away. And this is one of the things with dispensationalism. They're very heavenly minded. So they're just like, you know, let the world go to hell in a handbasket because we're going to be raptured out of here in a minute. We don't want to be there. Um, but we don't want to lose sight of what we have in the Lord waiting for us while we're being brave and standing strong for the Lord and enjoying the benefits of this life. You know, so we don't just say, oh, we just hate this life and we don't you know, just live in a cave. No, he's given us this life to enjoy, our families to enjoy. But within that limit, within, the, within that perspective of like, hey, if I lost it all today, I'm still okay because I have Christ. And I mean that. That's easy to say, real hard to do, right? Try going two days without your phone and see what happens. <laughs> right? Yeah, those kind of things. So um, these are, that's, that's the end. Those are the um, um, real impactful in the church. And what bothers me, what's scaring me, it's not just in the very liberal churches. Again, we could we know that's par for the course, but it's finding its way into evangelical churches, like churches in the Southern Baptist Convention, the most conservative Protestant denomination in the United States and the biggest denomination, Protestant conservative denomination. There are many churches that are becoming more and more uh, critical race theory friendly, um, transgender friendly, you know, allowing women to preach type of thing, ordaining women to, to that office. In the Presbyterian Church of America, they're a very conservative Presbyterian denomination. You're seeing these same kinds of things, this progressive kind of thinking coming in, deconstructing the faith, um, kind of building it back up. A lot of former Reformed guys are getting it, you know, are, are who have influence. I, I would say like Matt Chandler to a degree, Andy Stanley to a big degree. Um... And these are guys we, we have listened to in the past. David Platt, to a huge degree. Russell Moore, if you know who that is. Albert Moeller. Uh, Kevin DeYoung. I mean, these are guys. Um, Ligon Duncan. I'm, I'm, so do you think they were it. never saved then? I mean, once saved, always saved. Yeah. You have your valleys and your hilltops yeah. through this marathon. And that's... that's so were they never? I mean... It depends, Kirsten, on the on time. Like some of these guys, their intentions might have been good, or they might have been swayed, or they might have tried to accommodate a little bit and then got in over their heads. I don't know. I mean, and they'll still teach some truth, but they're a long way from where they were even a few years ago. So I think that all shakes out in the end. If you're, if they continue on that path. Eventually, they will go liberal. That's what happened. Just like with Harvard, Yale, Princeton, they were reformed. They were five-point Calvinists. They were Puritans. But eventually, and sometimes very quickly, you know, they they went. Now they're universalists. You know, you go to Princeton now and see see what their theologies or their uh, your values are at this day and age. Harvard, Yale, all those. They were very reformed when they began. Um, but within that, within the span of, you know, 80 years, they're gone. And so you just, it just, I, I would say, Kirsten, if they went out from us, if they went out from among us, they were never really of us, as John says in First John. So they could appear to be, just like, you know, Judas is the prime example in the Bible. He, they were even surprised. You know, where's he going? Oh, he must be going to help. He had the money bag. He's going to help somebody. He was going to betray Jesus. You know, when Jesus said, what are you going to betray me? What did they say? Do you remember? One of you here is going to betray me. What did the disciples say? They were asking who it was. Is it me? Is it me? Because yeah. I, I was like, ah, I was worried about it. <laughs> I kind of always figured, you know. But then looking back, you can see that, you know, some, some of this, a good friend of mine, you know, that that's kind of... Um, the hope is they're kind of like the prodigal son. They've kind of gone their way and the Lord will bring them back and restore them. But if they stay and continue that path, then you can say, you know, they knew the link, they, they knew it, they taught it, but it was never really in their hearts. They never truly believed it. They come to the place where it just doesn't make sense. Like my friend Andrew, one of the things he did say, it was just like, I just can't believe God can send anybody to hell. 
anybody to hell. You know, it's like he's, that came to that conviction while he was a Reformed Presbyterian, while he was a Calvinist. And, um, you know, I said, Hi, what did you do? He said, I just never preached on those passages. I just never preached it. You know, I just always got around it. Um, yeah. And so, and they, they, he was saying, you know, he'll never preach in a in a straight church ever. You know, and so that's that's where he's, and that's kind of wow. But um, it's not unprecedented. It's in Scripture. Demas, you know, Paul said Demas was my friend. He's he's gone. He's left for this world. So, not that you can't lose your salvation. They appeared, but they never truly were converted. Back to the sanitizing death. Yeah. Um, and the, is there a biblical directive on funerals? Is there a biblical directive on funerals? Well, I mean, I mean, so I have the thought that a celebration of life for a believer leaves yeah. people with the hope. Oh and yeah. The knowledge of knowing that person. It was that was that's a shell I've left behind. Yeah. Celebrate where I've gone too. You know, there's yeah. To me, that's um, a post-life gospel message. Amen. Sense. That's I mean, I was so shocked. I mean, you're exactly right, and that, I think Scripture has it. Like you know, for believers, we know to be away from the body, we're at home with the Lord. Right. For me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So a Christian funeral is a lot different than a non-Christian. <laughs> but even in a Christian funeral, you're still sad. It's still sad. Like, well, you know, yes, there's, there's going to be sadness a, because you're going to miss yes, that person. Exactly. That, you can't take that away from a person by not having a dead body there. Sorry, I don't plan to be laid out. <laughs> no, I, I would like. I don't want to be laid out. I mean, I'd rather have a closed casket. But I'm saying, back in the back in the day, they they were well acquainted with death. What they're doing now is they're trying. You got the one day funerals, and I know that's because of COVID, or they use that. But even before yeah, COVID. They were starting this real quick, 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 in and out, one day thing. Let's get it done. Let's have our thing. Let's go for it. And I know it's costly. I know it's expensive. But there was, there's something too saying, look, and I, when I preach funeral services, you're crying, even if you're Christians, because at that point, you're still missing them. We know that they're in heaven. So there's, we don't grieve as those without hope, as Paul says, you know, in in 1 Thessalonians. We grieve. Yeah, Paul says we grieve. That's not absent. We're not just, but not as those without hope. Mm-hmm. I've been to funerals as those without hope. I've had to preach funerals with those without hope. It's the hardest thing to do because mm-hmm. you really can't bring that comfort to the family. You do a Christian funeral, you know, we could rejoice. We could talk about the the joys of life. But he's in heaven now. He's at his Savior's side, and he's be, he's under his wings, and and we can't wait to be there with him. And that's good. Um, and so you could talk about them in life in that way. But if it's a non-believer, it's really hard. That's the, one of the hardest things for me to do is because what do you say? You end up preaching the gospel or, or trying to give hope. But if people figure it out with your saying, they're like, so I have to believe it. My person didn't believe in Jesus. So that means they're, you know what I mean? It's real touchy. It's real tough. But even for the Christian, it, there's something to mourning and not loving death because it's, a result of the fall. Now it's redeemed in Christ. So you're right. A Christian funeral should be both. It should be um, the sorrow, the pain of missing them so much, you know, like I'm wish, you know, obviously, but I know they're in heaven. And so we could, there'll be laughter, you know, you guys will hang out and laugh after a while and talk and, and you could, but if it's a non-Christian funeral, they don't have hope. I've, all my Catholic funerals that I've been to, there's, very little hope. It's always such a it's sad. All in purgatory. That's where the hope but you is. don't want to say, so and I'm, I've are. never heard a priest say that either. I'm always every funeral that I've been to, a Catholic funeral, they don't really mention that they're in purgatory. They'll kind of in, like indicate that they're with the Lord and mm-hmm. in the heavenly home and with their father. But but they're because they know that you can't really. That's not. It's a little bit of a consolation, but she's like, well. Your mom died, and she's in purgatory, and she's going through the flames to be refined. And hopefully, some, <laughs> some, some, if, really a, if a priest is honest, that's what you have to say. And you know, maybe 20, 40, 400 years she'll be in heaven. Just depends on how much sin was. 
if you're going to be honest and consistent, that's what you have to say at a Roman Catholic funeral because you just don't know. And they can't tell you. They can't say, today you're with me in paradise. But sometimes the priests cheat and they do say that. I've heard that. But a Catholic funeral is very interesting in that way because um, they offer hope within the church. You know, I, this one funeral I was at, I knew this guy was a sinner. He hated God. But he was baptized in the Catholic Church and, you know, went through the rituals and whatever and said, you know, he was baptized in the church, came, went through the, was confirmed in the church, uh, communion in the church, and now he has the last rites in the church. And so we commend him, Lord, to you. This dude was not, I mean, taking the Lord's name in vain was just like his second, like every other word, GD, every other word. Um we so. commend his, him to you, Lord, yeah. that it would fall into the wrath sector, too. I mean, they're not going to talk about that. They're not going to say that. And no. I, don't know, I don't know that they believe that because he didn't die in mortal sin. You know? That's a big deal. See, it's very complicated. That's why I think the Bible is very clear. And when we talk about that, you know. But I just, as a pastor, I don't like the sanitizing of the death. I think it needs to be seen, especially for unbelievers. This is you. What are you going to do? You know, this it reminds you of your mortality. People don't want to be reminded of their mortality. They don't want to be thinking about that. They just want to think about living. That's all. I don't want to think about that. You know, for real. So, so we've gotten to that place where death is just, you know, rolling over real quick. <laughs>